I totally agree. You know, it's interesting in in Cultivate, Morak's first book, uh, Cultivate the Power of Winning Relationships, there are what we call the four yeses. It's the questions that you've been asking yourself when you've been trying to figure out where a relationship was, even if you didn't know you were asking yourself this question. Um, and the first question is, can I count on you? Can I count on you to show up and do what you're supposed to do? Pretty reactive, pretty transactional. The second question is, can I, can I depend on you? And that's a little bit more proactive. Can I depend on you to go the extra mile, to give me the courtesy heads up when we go into that meeting or whatever? Still pretty transactional. Where relationship magic starts to happen is in the last two questions. And those questions are, do I care about you and do I trust you? And do I care about you it isn't a group huggy kind of thing. It's exactly what you said. It is, do I care enough to know your story, to learn a little bit about you? Who, 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 who do you hang out with in this organization? What baseball team do you like? How many kids do you have, right? All of that backstory context, do I care enough to even ask those questions? Because if I do, that's when the relationship starts to transform, to your point. Right? We, we, we keep score that way. We figure out how, is, is this person an acquaintance or are they a best friend or somewhere in between? And it's all about the connection level around those stories for sure. Heroes are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them from the larger than life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen, the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell. From the doctor saving lives at your local hospital, the war veteran down the street who risked his life for our freedom, to the police officers and the firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur, the creator, the producer, the ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what? I can fix that. I can help people. I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks on the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to the Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews, and today I have the pleasure of having in line Eric Spencer. Eric, are you there? I'm here. Awesome. Glad to have you here. Um, and, you know, we were talking about just before we got on the call, you're uh, you're in Colorado. Is that right? I am in Colorado. Yeah, enjoying the uh, the cold winter there. My, uh, my family and I, for those of you who follow along with our podcast and our travels, we are in uh, Central California, right outside of Yosemite Valley. We're like, literally, it's like 15 minutes from here to the entrance of Yosemite, which is kind of cool. Um, yeah, and we're freezing our tails off up here, but it is what it is. That's where my family moved, so I have to come visit them during the holidays and whatnot. <laughs> you guys are RVing, if I heard correctly, right? That is correct. Here, look, I you know, for people who are on the video, if I if I zoom this out a bit, you can actually see like the closet in the RV and the bathroom oh, over there. Nice, it's just a, a little fancy studio I've built into my into my rig here. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, so what I want to do before we get too far into the interview is just do a brief introduction for you, and then we'll dive into your story. So um, Eric Spencer uh, works with Sky Team. Is that the correct name for the company? That's right, Sky Team. Yeah, and you have a passion. Um, your passion is for designing and facilitating executive leadership and development programs that transform careers and leadership reputations. As the COO, which for those of you who don't know, is Chief Operating Officer, is that right? That's correct. Um, 
Yeah, for Sky Team, he brings more than 20 years of experience building and shaping human resources organizations. So what I want you to do for me at the beginning here is tell me what it is that you guys are known for, Sky Team, and then maybe personally what you're known for, what it is you do for the marketplace and like how you serve them. Yeah, for sure. So Sky Team is a, is a boutique leadership development, team development, and executive coaching firm based here in beautiful Colorado. Um, our catch uh, our angle the thing that we bring to the party in the leadership development space um is is a focus on the quality and depth of the relationships that people have at work um so that's what we focus on when we're working on a on an intact team development project or a larger leadership development program we predicate everything on the idea that the quality and depth of the relationships you have at work are the single biggest influencer of your happiness engagement and productivity um, and we do that in in several different ways. We do that working with leadership teams, working with intact teams down the management stack, uh, developing programs for frontline managers or managers of managers, which I think is sort of the hardest turn in the leadership pipeline. Um, that's the focus that we bring. Uh, that's the way we separate ourselves from the pack. It's all about relationships, man. Relationships matter. So here's my my timely question for you on that. How has everything moving to virtual teams impacted the work that you do with organizations over the last couple of years? Oh my God, it's just it's changed everything, right? Um, you know, back in 2019, I was on an airplane every Monday, uh, going somewhere and coming home every Friday. Um, and we've switched everything to a virtual delivery like everybody had to. Um, and some of the things that we've learned in that process are you know, there are things we can do here digitally that are actually better than we did in the old days when we would finish a really powerful session and the artifacts were a bunch of flip charts around the room that you had to take pictures of and then transcribe yeah. into a report, right? Um, and we've also learned that the normal development of a team, the dynamics that took place in real space are taking two and three times as long, right? So things are just slower. Relationships are harder to build because we're missing all of the context, the ad hoc conversations. You know, I don't bump into you, Richard, at the coffee machine or walk with you to a meeting, right? It, mm -hmm. Not nearly to the degree that we did back in the old days. And uh, that's changed the dynamic of how relationships deepen um, and the time it takes to get there. Yeah. And then probably also the methodologies you use to actually facilitate relationships outside of the actual like work discussions that are happening. 100%, 100%, right? We've we've had to tweak a lot of things um, with respect to, uh, largely with respect to intentionality, right? A lot of the things that would just happen as a natural course, they just don't happen in the digital spaces naturally. So we have to be much more intentional. We find ourselves making a whole lot more choices about what we're going to do and how we're going to show up in those spaces. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what I want to find out before we get too much into how it is you do what you do is find out how you got here, right? So we talk on this show all the time about your origin story, and every good comic book hero has an origin story. It's the thing that made them into the hero they are today. And we want to hear that story. Were you, you know, born a hero or were you bit by a radioactive spider that made you wanted to get into leadership development training? Um, or did you start in a job and eventually move over to start working as an entrepreneur? entrepreneur? Basically, where did you come from? How did you get here? Yeah, well, um, I'm a kid of the 80s. Uh, I started my teenage life um, with a dream. Um, I wanted to be, I wanted to be a musician in a metal band. I wanted to have really long well, hair. I mean, you do have the guitar over your shoulder there. 
so that's what I did um, in the beginning of my life. I, uh, I, I was a musician, played in bands, uh, lived on the road, did it for a living for a while after college. Um, best experience in my life? Yes. Worst experience in my life? Also, yes. Um, it, it was a fantastic journey. Glad I did it. Time. Yeah, right? Yeah. I, I lived in a van with five guys. It was a rough, rough go for a few years. But, you know, we, we had a good time. And, uh, you know, I got to cross a lot of things off of that bucket list. Um, but getting into, into this space, you know, I always wanted to do this. It's, it was what my focus was in grad school. Um, but when I came out of, of school, you know, I came, out of, I came out of school twice in a recession, which is awesome. Um, trying to figure out how, <laughs> right. <laughs> trying to figure out how to break into this space was hard. So, so I didn't, I took the first job that I could get. And uh, I spent the, the beginning of my career working in operations, um, largely doing mergers and acquisition work, which was fascinating. Um, but it took me a while to, to figure out how to get into the space where I could work in a leadership development capacity. So I took a job in HR um, and spent 15, 20 years banging around HR departments because leadership development internally tends to live, if not inside of HR, or at least adjacent to it. So that's how I got close to that space, um, was able to, to cut my teeth designing uh, programs and, you know, in, inside of organizations, uh, university concepts, um, got to spread my wings there and, and, and figure out how you can do this in an impactful, effective way. And then how did you transition from there working in HR to being a, uh, the CEO here of SkyTeam? So COO, CEO will get mad at you if you... COO. Is that what I, did I mess that up? I meant COO. I was thinking COO. <laughs> um, so it was interesting, right? And it's a relationship story. So I had done a couple of startups and, you know, startups are startups and they're, they're either the ones where all your stock options cash in and you buy yourself your private island and live happily ever after, uh, or it works out not so lucratively. And my last startup that I was a part of went that way. And uh, I was, I was planning my next move, looking for my next thing, you know, and I had a, a couple of offers on the table. I had an offer to, to go take an HR job and do that thing again. And I wasn't really excited about that. And then I had a, an opportunity to join a, a consulting firm, building a leadership development practice inside of that. And I thought, okay. So I wrote a business plan to do that. And I thought, I need to sanity check this with somebody who's actually doing this work right now in the space. So I had known Morag Barrett, my business partner here at SkyTeam. I had known her from a, uh, a company that we had both worked at in the past. And she had since left, and I had long since left. And uh, I thought, you know what? She's doing this work. She looks like she's reasonably successful. She's been doing it for a few years. Maybe I'll just see if she'll look at my plan. And so I, I randomly pinged her um, and we met up for coffee and I walked her through my business plan and, and she, she famous line from, from that meeting. She said, well, you know, you can put anything you want in a plan. It's all wishes, ponies, and unicorns until the money's in the bank. And uh, we laughed about that. And then she got this sort of thoughtful look on her face and she said, so you're going to pick one of these things, right? This opportunities. I said, yeah. And she goes, well, why don't we do it together? And I didn't see that coming. 
Um, and it was an interesting thing because had I not taken a shot on a relationship that I didn't really even have at that point in time, I wouldn't be doing what we call the best job in the world. It's my favorite thing I've ever done. Uh, I get to do really impactful work with really cool clients with people that I love to work with. So it was it was a great thing. Yeah, that's awesome. I was just uh, I was just discussing with one of my best friends the other day how impactful relationships are um, in terms of growing your business and doing what you want to do. And I've noticed just over the course of my entrepreneurial career that all of the biggest strides that have happened in my business are have been a result of some relationship that I've built or developed. And it's funny because you can't just do that. You have to actually like, you know, I, I was comparing it to like you, you drive a car, right? You have to put the gas in the car and you have to actually like drive right. the steering wheel and push on the gas pedal every day to make the business go around. But it's the relationships and the stuff that comes out of those. It's like having that nitro boost button that you can use every once in a while that really rocket you forward. 100%. 100%. And, you know, it, it, it's interesting, right? It's one of those things, you know, we'll be, we'll be talking with, with technical clients and they'll say, we don't have time for that soft, fluffy people stuff. And, you know, you can have the best idea in the world, the best widget, the best product, the best process. But if you don't get the people stuff right, it's not going to go where it could go. Right. And yeah, the work. people stuff is all predicated on those relationships. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's always it's always the uh, where the biggest wins come from in at least in my my experience. Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. So what I want to talk about then is over the course of your career, have you developed any superpowers, right? Every iconic hero has a superpower, whether that's that fancy flying suit made by their genius intellect or the ability to call down thunder from the sky. Um, heroes that have what I call a zone of genius in the real world, which is either a skill or set of skills that you were born with or you developed over the course of time to really set you apart, right? That lets you um, help your clients slay their villains and come out on top in their journeys. The way I like to frame it is if you look at all the things that you've developed over your your life, all the skills, you probably have a common thread that ties all those things together. And that common thread is probably where we find your superpower. So with that framing, what do you think your superpower is? Yeah, I think I think the thing that differentiates me uh, in this very crowded space that, in which I work is a couple of things. One, it's relatability. It's the ability to to connect with someone in a relatively meaningful way in a short amount of time. Um, and that's largely driven by a couple of skills, right? One, one of those skills is listening. You have to listen. I am more interested in learning about you than I am talking about me, which is an interesting paradigm for a guest on a show because um, I want to start asking you questions. That's why I asked about the RV thing. I'm like, did I hear that right? Um, and I think, I think that's a thing that's a little bit different. A lot of folks that do what we do, they have their sort of cookie cutter programs that they replicate and they just rebrand for different clients. We, we start all of our engagements with what we call a discovery phase. We come in and we interview a percentage of the employee population from the C-suite down to the, to the individual contributor level. And we ask them questions about what's working and what could be better or different inside that organization. And we learn a ton. And a lot of times those presenting symptoms that the, the initial phone call, the, the executive brought to the table, aren't the real issue, right? The real issue is something completely different. And we get there by listening. And, and I think that's the thing that makes Sky Team different. And it's, it's, it's who I am as a person, right? I, I love connecting with people and trying to figure out, okay, what, 
what is really going on here and how can we help if we can? Yeah, yeah, you'll probably appreciate um, appreciate this because it's it's one of the things that comes up a lot on this show because I, I think it's central to life. But um, and it's it's my my philosophy on how relationships work and it has to do with listening as a superpower. Um, but I've always said that uh, human beings are storyborn people and we judge mm-hmm. the depth of our relationship on how much of the other person's story that we know. So um, if, you know, someone who you know their name, but you don't really know much of their story, we call those people acquaintances. And someone that you know their name and you know a lot of their story, you might call them a friend. And then someone who you know so much of their story that you've heard all their stories before, the only way to deepen your relationship with them is to go out and create new stories together. We call those best mm-hmm. friends, right? And we actually, that's that's how we we measure relationships is by the depth of the other person's story. And so, you know, the, the way I run this podcast, and the way I, I look at relationship building is about learning how to do both sides of that, to listen to someone's mm-hmm. story and also learn how to tell your own story so that you guys can have a deeper relationship together. I totally agree. You know, it's interesting in, in Cultivate, Morag's first book, uh, Cultivate the Power of Winning Relationships, there are what we call the four yeses. It's the questions that you've been asking yourself when you've been trying to figure out where a relationship was, even if you didn't know you were asking yourself these questions. Um, And the first question is, can I count on you? And that's, can I count on you to show up and do what you're supposed to do? Yeah. Pretty reactive, pretty transactional. The second question is, can I, can I depend on you? And that's a little bit more proactive. Can I depend on you to go the extra mile to give me the courtesy heads up when we go into that meeting or whatever? Still pretty transactional. Where relationship magic starts to happen is in the last two questions. And those questions are, do I care about you and do I trust you? And do I care about you isn't a group huggy kind of thing. It's exactly what you said. It is, do I care enough to know your story, to learn a little bit about you? Who, 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 who do you hang out with in this organization? What baseball team do you like? How many kids do you have, right? All of that backstory context. Do I care enough to even ask those questions? Because if I do, that's when the relationship starts to transform, to your point, right? We, we, we keep score that way. We figure out how, is, is this person an acquaintance or are they a best friend or somewhere in between? And it's all about the connection level around those stories, for sure. Yeah, and it's interesting, right? You know, to, to our superhero theme, the best villains are always the ones who have the best stories, right? <laughs> and... It's interesting because, you know, they say they say the the more, you know, a person's story, the less you can hate them. Right? <laughs> um, oh, so true. So true. Yeah. And so, you know, not to get like too, uh, I don't know what the word would be rated R, but they say if you are ever like being held up at gunpoint, one of the things that is that'll save your life more than anything else is to start telling the person your story. Um, because it humanizes the other person. Right. Um, and the more of your story that someone knows, the less they can, the less they can hate you. And right. so, and it, it's, it's just, it's, we're wired that way. The more of someone's story, you know, the more you like them. Um, yeah. And you can't help, can't help it. <laughs> so it's, it's not something that you can change. You're like, the more, if you know that person's story, the more, the, if you want to get, I, I call it relationship hacking. If you want to build a closer relationship with anyone, the only thing you have to do other than like continue to be a good person right, is actually learn their story and care about it. 
It seems so easy. <laughs> it does. <laughs> you know, Richard, it's funny. You, you think about the state of the world today and where things are and people complain that, oh, it's not like the good old days. I struggle with when the good old days were anyway. Um, yeah. But, but you, know, you know, it that concept, that notion, so simple. Um, yet, like we were talking in the beginning, the digital distance makes getting to those opportunities to learn the stories even a little bit harder. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's one of the things that I have, um, it's fascinated me about traveling is uh, mm -hmm. because we spend a short amount of time with the people that we're around before we move on to someplace else or they move on to someplace else. It has made the art of learning how to build a relationship fast, something that you had, we, like just by necessity, you had to get really good at. Um, and so- so what's your what's your hack? What's your number one tip for doing relationship building in that small space very quickly? Um, so this is very practical for the way that we run our life, but the principle I think applies. It's when you meet someone that you want to have a further relationship with, right? You say you first it's say hi now because you may not have a chance to say hi tomorrow, and the second one is invite them to dinner, mm. right? Break bread together, and. And Powerful. like we've got some of our best friends in the world are people that we have just walked up on in the park at a local place and said, hey, my name's so-and-so. I see you also have kids like me, right? <laughs> Why don't you come over for dinner? Bring your kids. We'll make you a meal. Um, yeah. And um, and you spend that time essentially getting to know each other, sharing stories with each other and finding out, you know, how'd you get here? Why do you travel? What are your kids like? What are you like? That kind of thing. Um, and, you know, it takes takes an evening around the fire and around a dinner table to to build lifetime relationships. Um, and I think one of the things that I like about the traveling lifestyle that was very difficult to do when we were not traveling, and I have to be more intentional about it when you're not traveling, is you get yourself into a rut and you see the same people in the same places all the time. So you don't have the opportunity to practice that beginning portion of a relationship. Um, as much as we've had the opportunity to over the last several years. So it's a muscle we've flexed a lot. <laughs> yeah. No, that's awesome. And, you know, it's funny, kids and pets, the great equalizers, right? That's what makes conversation easy. In in the yeah. work context, it's 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 different. Um, and I think the 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 sort of digital digitalization that we've gone through over the last couple of years has been kind of a weird dichotomy, right? We've had extra distance. We've been very task focused, over scheduled, oversubscribed. But in these windows, right now, I see you in this in this little square. And prior to the pandemic, we used to protect this square. Well, if we were on a video call, chances are we were on a video call like this. It was just audio on a video platform. Um, yeah. But if we were on a video call back then. We tried to protect this space and make it very much like work. And mm -hmm. over the last couple of years, you know, we've gone from, you know, overdoing green screen backgrounds to seeing kids and pets jump into frame and partially clothed spouses go through the frame. We've seen intimately in, right into people's homes and lives in a way that we would have never done before. So it's interesting in that it's been harder to connect with people uh, because of the lack of context and ad hoc conversation, but seeing into people's real lives, you know, in 2019, if I knew that you had, you have four 
four. kids. Yeah, four babies. Yeah. So if I knew that you had four kids, I understood that, you know, on a on an intellectual level. But if I've been on Zoom calls with you or Teams calls with you over the pandemic and I've actually seen your kids, a whole different level of appreciation and experience for what's going on in your world. To your yeah. point about learning your story, that's seeing your story play out in real time in a way that we didn't see at work before. I, I can't tell you the number of times that I've had a butt-ass naked two-year-old girl come in here and want to <laughs> say hi to my podcast guests because she thinks everyone on video calls are grandma and grandpa um, because that's who she talks to most of the time. So she wants to come say hi to them and right. she's potty training. So she's not always wearing pants. <laughs> hey, you know what? We haven't, to the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't all been wearing pants over the last two years either. So yeah, there's that. Yeah. <laughs> that is accurate. You don't actually, that's one of the best parts about pan, the pandemic is you don't need to wear anything but a shirt. That's right. <laughs> Below shoulder level. It's all, it's all up for grabs. It's all free game. Nobody knows. <laughs> so you could be wearing pants. You could be naked. You could be wearing right. boxers, whatever you want. PJs right. from the waist down. <laughs> <laughs> I saw I saw a photo the other day. Uh, it was a bunch of folks at work. They they got together to wear what they used to wear on Zoom calls. So it was jacket and tie, very nice blouse, and you know shorts and yoga pants and pajamas. It was hilarious. It was hilarious. Yeah, I wouldn't be allowed at that meeting. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have a joke with my mastermind group that we call it uh, um, the. Uh, the no pants pandemic. Hey, love it. Love it. You know, and whatever it takes, Richard, to get into your creative zone, what did you do you? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty awesome. So I want to talk then about the flip side of your superpowers, right? So every superpower has the fatal flaw on the other side. So if your superpower is the listening, the active listening, and actually being able to hear someone's story and see their person, the, uh, the opposite side of that, the fatal flaw is... You know, just like every Superman has his kryptonite or Wonder Woman has her bracelets of victory she can't remove without going mad. You probably have something that's held you back, something you struggled with. For me, I struggled with a couple of things. I struggled with perfectionism for a long time, which kept me from shipping product because I could always tweak it just a little bit more before I brought it to the market and got rejected. Mm -hmm. um, and I struggled with uh, lack of self-care, which really brought itself out in not having good boundaries with my clients and not having good boundaries with my time. Um, and so I let my time and my clients walk all over me. Um, but I think more important than what the flaw is, is how have you worked to overcome it so you could continue to grow in your role and grow your company? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, and for me, I, I'm a depression and anxiety kid, right? I was diagnosed with depression when I was about 24 years old and um, have wrestled with that in, in, all of its, in all of its different tentacles over the years. And the stigma associated with that is, is, makes it something that you don't talk about at work, right? Um, yeah you by saying those things out loud and admitting those things you're 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 you know you're you're putting yourself in a very vulnerable position that negative self-talk turns that into a position of weakness and uh so you don't and you end up finding yourself in situations where that you shouldn't be in right you find yourself trying to you know tough it out or grind through whatever it is that you're going through um and expect that it's not going to impact how you show up, how you relate, how you connect or how you perform, you're insane, right? It's just, it's impacting all of those things. And you may be really good at getting by, but when those things come to bear, people know. 
They can yeah. see it on you. They can smell it on you. And it shows up in, in very subtle and not so subtle ways. Um, so one of the things that, that I've, I've done to deal with that is, is I talk about it. I will speak about it. Um, I post about it all the time, uh, you know, trying to, trying to shine the light on the fact that it, it, it's a thing that we all deal with in some form or fashion. Uh, some of us have it in a in a clinical respect, but there there are emotions and and situations that all human beings have to deal with. You know, this notion that you could leave your personal self at home and only bring your work self to work is flawed, right? We're human beings, and we show up as our whole selves wherever we are, and that's okay, right? I wrote a I wrote a an article on LinkedIn a little while ago called "I'm Not Okay," and that's okay, I think. Um, and I think, and I think shining the light on that's been, it's been really powerful. You know, I've had a lot of people reach out and connect with me to say, thank you for saying the things that I wish I could say, but I'm afraid if I say them, I'm going to get fired. And I remember I was at a pretty low point in my life. I was here at Sky Team and I was at a place where I needed to tell my business partners what was going on because I'm sure they were curious, right? What's wrong? What's going on with this guy? And I knew that if I said the words out loud, I ran the risk of them not trusting me, not giving me projects that they thought I could handle, um, judging me in some way, right? The imposter syndrome wave just kind of piles over you. Um, and they were amazing, right? They were supportive. They were open-hearted. Uh, and it, it, it changed the way that I deal with my fatal flaw in the work context. Yeah. So that's, it's an interesting, like depression is an interesting thing because it, it comes in everything from um, very minor, like a lot of entrepreneurs have dealt with the imposter syndrome, which is a type of depression. I think um, even if it's not clinically related that way, what I know of depression, it's a type of, it's a type of depression all the way up to like clinical depression and I know my it's something my wife has struggled with. I've struggled with the imposter syndrome stuff earlier on in my career, and I've had several friends that I've helped through some of their their depression things. And this may not be useful for you, but it'll be list, useful to someone listening somewhere. For um, sure, is one of the most helpful things that I have found for the people I know who have struggled with depression is helping them see how much they matter to the people in their world, mm-hmm. and it's it's an interesting it's an interesting discussion to have um because at, at least with the couple of people i've known who have struggled with depression the thing that they are thinking in themselves thinking to themselves even if they're not saying it out loud is that they don't matter um which is it's it's a fallacy on its surface but it's hard to see right because totally yeah it's 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 hard to see because like you know in my wife's my wife's uh case for instance i was like she gets that thought that she doesn't matter. And I'm like, but if you, if you, you matter to me, mm-hmm. right? So if you matter to me, then you can't not matter because you matter to me. Right. Um, and I was like, and I'm not the only one, right. You got four kids right. in there <laughs> and right. my parents and your friends and all the people. And like, you just have to get yourself over that hump of thinking like, where is like my story matters. Right. And your your person matters. And it's interesting because like I was like, even if you were you were to if you were to leave tomorrow, every aspect of who you are has impacted my story forever. Right. Forever. Forever. 
Right. And, and what's interesting is like even people that you just meet on the street and you say hi to and you shake hands, the moment that you've interacted with someone else, they become a part of your story yeah. forever. Um, and it, they can't, you can't take them out of your story because that's not the way this works. So yeah. the, the reality is you matter. You matter to the people in your life and you matter to the people around you. Um, and sadly, there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> I say sadly, well, but really it's happy. Um, you, yeah. You, so you, you have to matter. Um, and it, that's just, it's a thing that you have to wrap your head around. So again, I don't know if that's helpful for you, but that's a, that's one of the things that I've, I found is really useful for helping people. Understand. Yeah, it, it is. And, and it's, it's interesting. I love the way you framed it. It's like a mathematical proof, right? If, if you matter to me, you matter. And that's indefensible. You can't yeah. change that. You can't refute yeah, that. It's, it's a light bulb moment for some people. What's interesting about being on the other side of the table, right? Inside the mind of the, of the, of the depressed the the I don't matter is sort of level one. Level two is even worse because level two isn't that I just not just that I don't matter. It's that I am a burden to those around me. Yeah, right? absolutely. It's 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 I don't matter. And that's bad. But now you having to deal with me. Wow, that's that's extra heavy. And I don't want to put that on somebody else. And so it's unraveling it. I love getting to it at the I don't matter level sort of level one before it gets to the, I'm a burden to you as well. That's, that's yeah. powerful. Um, and it's, it's such an interesting discussion to have with, with people. Um, because when you, when you really realize how, you know, what we've been talking about, the whole listening and the relationships and all that stuff, a lot of that comes down to like the reason people get depressed in the first place has to do with like, they, I, they don't feel like other people have heard their story, right? That, that's yeah. why they don't think they matter, right? Or they don't, they don't see that happening. Um, and I'm, that's not like I'm like perfect at this, but I think learning how to use your superpower, right? Listening um, is really an important aspect of helping people like just have healthy life. Is <laughs> Learning to listen to them helps them see that they matter to you. Um, and that they've had an impact on your story. Yeah, it, it, it's that interconnectedness, right? And it goes back to what you were talking about earlier about knowing the story, knowing their story and knowing that they know your story, right? It's a loop. And a lot of times we don't, we don't close that loop uh, intentionally. It's just a, a byproduct of how humans interact or we assume, right? It's one of those relationship elements that we just take for granted. So I think calling attention to it in that way, especially in this frame that we were just talking about can be a super powerful thing. Absolutely. Um, and on that subject, because I think depression can be an enemy. I want to talk about common enemy in your business. Um, and you just, it's like every superhero has their, arch nemesis, um, a thing that they constantly have to fight against in their world. In the world of business it takes a lot of forms, but we want to put it in the context of your clients, right? And it's a mindset or it's a flaw that you constantly have to fight against. When you, you know, when they sign on the dotted line, if you had your magic wand, you could just bop them on the head and not have to deal with that. Um, what would you say your common enemy is in your business? You know, I think <laughs> with what we deal with, a lot of times, and if you think about when when money gets tight, 
when budgets get cut, two things get impacted usually right off the bat, and that's recruiting and any sort of training and development work, right? And I think the common enemy in our space is the idea that leadership development, team development is extra. It's a nice to have if we've got the time and the money. Um, We argue that it's a must have, that it's a foundational element of getting to high performance, of getting beyond just riding the momentum wave to wherever you're going. You know, it's it's the idea that it's it's optional, right? I mean, if you think about great athletes, you know, I always think about like Tiger Woods or Michael Jordan or these iconic athletes. They had coaches until they stopped playing, right? Um, they always had a coach outside of what they were doing with their team or in their professional context. They hired other people to bring into that space to help them get better at their craft, get better at what they do uh, because they saw the value in it. And a lot of times I think in, in corporate America today, it's, it's one of those things that's nice. You know, it's a treat to give to your team. It's, it's a, it's, it's a good thing to have if we happen to have extra cash and time. And I would argue that it's a foundational, fundamental element to becoming a high-performing team, to becoming a high-performing individual, uh, to being best in breed at whatever it is that you do. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because I I don't think relationships are the only thing in that category, right? The leadership training. I think the other thing in that category is also um, health performance. And Mm because, you know, I think both of those two things, they really impact your people. So if they're they're healthy and they know how to have good relationships, then they can actually show up and do good work. <laughs> That's right. Well, and, and, and giving them the opportunity to, to skill build, to connect and relate um, changes, changes the game, right? If you don't do those things, right? People, they, they show up, they show up to work sick. They show up to work on un, uninspired. They, they, they keep the chair warm until something better comes along. Right. I yeah. I am fortunate enough to do a thing that I love to do with people that I love to do it with. Right. I I don't want to look for another job. There is no other job. There is there is this life that I choose to live right now because of all of the things that we talked about. Right. The culmination of all of those relationships has put me in this position where why would I do anything else? Clients ask all the time, you should come here and do this. And I'm like, why would I do that? I don't want to go to the same building every day. Ugh, gross. (laughs) So what's interesting is I think, because you mentioned it being a common enemy because people think it's optional. Um, And one of the things I've noticed is just talking, you know, because of what I do here on this show, I get to talk to CEOs of companies all over the place in lots of different spaces, how the pandemic has really brought all shining light onto the health aspect and a lot more companies are no longer looking at the health of their employees as an optional thing. Right. So they're bringing they're bringing stuff in, you know, health coaches and health training and things like that. Um, And it's interesting because health is health is semi measurable. Right. You've got things you could measure. Right. You could measure your weight. You could measure like there's things you could measure, whether or not that makes a difference on how healthy you are is irrelevant. But it just it feels more measurable. Um, And I'm I'm curious how you guys deal with that in because I know how CEOs and COOs and CFOs work. They want to see the ROI before they make decisions. Yeah. How do you guys discuss ROI with relationships to with to relationships, right? And how that impacts the bottom line 
and how you actually make that discussion to show them that it's not an optional thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say a few things about that. Um, you know, one, just on the health topic in general, um, employees are making that a conversation that executives can't avoid anymore, right? That that genie has been let out of the bottle. There was a generational shift around wellness and well-being, um, and the pandemic has has intensified that exponentially yeah. for 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 everybody, right? So what was an optional conversation is now a mandatory conversation between leadership and the employee base. It's just something that people expect. Um, in terms of relationship ROI, right? I mean, our like I said, our sticky wicket here is being able to show the correlation between your happiness, engagement, and productivity and being able to draw that back to the quality and depth of the relationships that you have. Uh, we, we built a safety leadership program uh, for an oil company. So you picture, you know, oil company employees, people out in the field, um, mm -hmm. and they were having a safety issue and needed a safety program. So I, I, I wrote two programs. I wrote one very traditional skills-based safety program. And then I wrote one very non-traditional safety leadership program predicated on the idea that the more I like you, the more likely I am to look out for your well-being. And, and I went in to pitch this to the executive team, and I had both in my pocket. And I thought... I could take the easy one that I know they'll resonate with and probably take, or I could go out on the limb and do this soft, fluffy, relationshipy one. And they took it. And we delivered that program to over a thousand employees out in the field. And we were able to show an 18% reduction in what they call TRIR, total recordable injury rate, that when asked, the field personnel told us uh, it's because I know that guy's story and I want to make sure he's okay. He's got four kids and I want to make sure he goes home tonight. So when he's not wearing his safety glasses, I say, Hey, Richard goggles, put them on. Right. Only because I know him. Yeah. Before the program, you were just another dude on site who didn't have his safety goggles on. I would probably elbow my buddy and say, check out that guy. He's probably going to lose an eye today. And I would go about my business, right? So we were able to correlate the data to show that it was in fact the relationships that not only, not only helped happiness, engagement, and productivity, but that's a base level human interaction safety. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that you're okay. Yeah. And that's, that's powerful. Um, I, cause, cause I, I've seen that happen, right? And you you see that in in the real world. You know, you see, you know, guy driving his motorcycle down the street, driving like an asshole. You're like, oh, that guy's gonna, <laughs> you know, that guy's gonna get himself killed. And right, right. then you see your brother driving down on a motorcycle, and you're like, when he gets home, I'm having a chat with him, right? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> dude. Stop driving make... like an asshole. Put your helmet on. <laughs> Put your helmet on, right? Because um, the depth of relationship changes how much you care about the outcomes for the other person. Absolutely. And it, it doesn't have to be your brother, right? If yeah, I, I to your point about, example. <laughs> yeah, but to your point about, about the mugger, right? If I, if I start telling the mugger my story, now he starts to care about my safety. So he's less likely to harm me in a work context. If, if that base level of human emotion comes into play that readily, 
think about what we could do if we could harness that in terms of productivity, in terms of, of ideation, in terms of how we do whatever it is that we do. It's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause it's one of the things I try to cultivate with my team, which is I have a small team, but you know, I try to find out um, and talk about it publicly with our, with our, our small group is like, who they are and what they like doing and what video games they play on the weekend and yeah. like how old their kids are and what, when their birthdays are happening. And like one of my employees is having a baby and I'm like, we, you know, we, we had a, you know, congratulations kind of thing. I'm trying to figure out what we can do for them. Cause I have no idea. Um, <laughs> Cause they're in another country. I'm like, I don't know. I think we're going to make them a doll. If, if my, my editor is, uh, is watching this, don't tell them. I think my wife is making them a doll <laughs> for their baby. Um, but either way, right. It's like, it, we try to make sure everyone sort of knows each other, um, yeah. which is, um, I think it makes it more exciting to show up and to know the people that you're working with. And, you know, if you're passing tasks back and forth, um, if you're passing tasks back and forth between another human that you care about versus just another cog in the machine, it changes like the the notes that you put in for context and you know the uh the way that you communicate about it it like it all changes when you care about the other person yeah who whose work are you going to prioritize yeah the person you like the person you don't know well richard sent me this i'll do that for him because i know he's he's moving on to a new town today and i want to get it to him before he rolls out of town right whatever <laughs> it's that yeah. context it's it's that it's that connection that makes the difference. I, I totally agree with you. <laughs> awesome. So the flip side of your common enemy would be your driving force, right? So just like Spider-Man fights to save uh, New York or Batman fights to save Gotham or Google fights to index and categorize all the world's information. What is it that you guys fight for at Sky Team? Your mission, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, it, it, again, right? It, it's shining the light on the on the power of the relationship aspect of of doing work, right? It's it's less about what needs to get done and it's, it's more about how it needs to get done and through whom um, that's, that's the driving force. It's for us, it's, it's shining the light on the power that relationships can bring as soft and fluffy as they can seem as, as, as expected as they are right. When we're intentional about building them, developing them and deepening them, we can get to the magic really quickly. You know, being authentic and and letting your guard down, right? And in our in our new book, we talk about what what's what we call an ally mindset. And one of the components of an ally mindset is courage and vulnerability. And as business people in general, and American business people in specific, we're socialized to believe that being vulnerable is being weak. And what we posit is that being vulnerable is being authentic. And the quicker you and I can both get there and let the guard down, the quicker we can get to the magic, right? The magic happens when you're authentic and so am I. When you're guarded and I'm guarded too, we're going to dance and we may be able to get some work done, but we're not going to take it to the next level. Being able to be vulnerable and having the courage to do so is a powerful enabler of that. So if we can if we can change that perception around why should I invest in relationships at work? I've got real work to do. I just need to get my shit done. If I can change that perception in 10% of the people that I interact with, I win, right? Because those um, people's lives are going to be different. I would I would posit that um, a lot of people 
think of, because you've referred to it a few times, relationships are soft and fluffy um, and therefore potentially feminine and masculine people don't want to talk about relationships. And I would posit that learning to be good at relationships and learning how to be vulnerable actually is the more masculine of the traits. Um, and yeah. and, and you know, I just put this out there for people who are listening. If you know how to have a good relationship and how to do the stuff that we've been talking about, Makes you sexy to the lady folks. So that's right. That's right. You heard it here. Richard said it first. <laughs> so just, I'm just going to put that out there. It's, it's not, it's not an unmasculine thing. Um, and I would posit it's, uh, a you human thing. It soft and fluffy. it's, it's not soft and fluffy. It's, it's a hard skill. Um, and it takes like what you're talking about. It takes courage and it takes a, it takes a, a an ability that you have to develop. Right. Um, yeah. And it's like, it's like any other muscle you've got to, you've got to practice flexing that muscle or it will atrophy. And when that happens, it, you're, you're putting yourself, your people around you, your organization at peril. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, just the example you used on the, the, the people who are working in the oil fields, right. Um, those kind of crews I've heard they're they're I've never worked on one, but I know some friends who have, and they're rough and tumble guys. Um, yep. but relationships still change the outcomes, right? They care. They didn't, they probably didn't it, change anything about the rough and tumble, right? <laughs> no. So, well, it was, it was interesting, right? In, in that, in that program, we, we had them give what, what we called a safety stump speech. So essentially they had to say why they cared about safety, why it mattered. And they had to share a story that made the concept of caring about safety real for them. And so many people told very powerful stories about people that they know, trusted, liked, some loved, right? Best friends who got injured, who were killed, who had bodily harm come to them. And these rough and tumble, very steel-toed, very big bearded people telling these stories, not a dry eye in the house at the end of these programs. And so for, for as, as stereotypically masculine as, as those, uh, those crews can be portrayed, man, some of the richest humanity I've ever experienced in doing this kind of work happened out there in the oil fields of North Dakota. Because relationships are masculine. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to talk about some practical things then. Um, you know, I call this your hero's tool belt. And uh, just like every superhero has their gadgets and gizmos, everything from the, you know, batarangs to uh, web slingers. So their laser eyes or, you know, big magical hammers they can spin around and fly with. Um, I want to talk about the top one or two tools you use in your business that you couldn't do what you do without. Right. It could be anything from your notepad to your calendar, something you use for marketing tools, something you use for your product delivery um, or your course delivery or program delivery, something that you think is essential to getting your job done. Two things. Uh, the first one is what we call the relationship ecosystem. So it 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 breaks down relationships into four primary dynamics based on two uh, axes. So the horizontal axis goes from me focused on the left to we focused on the right. And the vertical axis goes from conditional at the bottom to unconditional at the top. So if you start at the top, unconditional, we focus, that's what we call an ally relationship. And that's kind of what we aspire to in many, not all, but many of our relationships. A slightly more conditional, still we focus. For your kids. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, you're, yeah. like, it doesn't really matter what they do. You're, you know, if they kill someone, you're helping them bury the body kind of thing. That's right. <laughs> you're going to show up as an ally no matter what. If we slide down the conditional axis, you know, we get into what we call supporter behavior. And supporters are interesting because they look like allies in a lot of the ways, but they are making assessments about whether or not they're going to show up based on whether it's good for them or not, right? Um, they're a little bit less willing to take risk. So we got ally and supporter. If we move to the me side, you've got what we call rival behavior. It's conditional me first. Um, I may be on your team and I may help you do whatever it is that we need to do, but if it's a good thing for me and it's got upside yeah. for me, right? Our, and then all the line. Yes, exactly. And then it's all me all the time. And that's what we call an adversary relationship. So that's tool number one is just being able to assess where are we? And it's a bi-directional thing. Where am I showing up for you, Richard, on this grid? And where do I think you're showing up for me? That has been super helpful for me in deciding how I show up in different relationships. You know, I think I'm pretty great. So I think I'm an ally to everybody. Well, that's not true. And when I'm sitting down in my quiet space and I ask myself the questions, in a lot of relationships, I'm showing up as a supporter at best or a rival. And then I get to make a choice, right? I have what, I, what we like to call the luxury of choice. Um, so that's number one. Number two, and is that if you remember nothing else about this conversation, the way to open up a conversation about where the relationship is and where we both want it to go is what we call the relationship pulse check. And it's three questions, and they're super easy. Question number one, I would ask you, Richard, what's working for you right now in this relationship? And you would tell me a thing. And then I would say, what's not working for you? And this is that courage and vulnerability coming into play because I got to be willing to hear whatever it is that you might say, and I might not like. So what's working? What's not working? And then the third question is, what's one thing that I could do to help ensure your or our collective success? So what's working? What's not working? And what's one thing that I could do to help ensure your or our success? Super easy uh, way to start a conversation, bake it into your one-on-one -on -one process, give a venue for feedback. It, it's a cool thing. Very powerful tool. We use it all the time. Couldn't do business without it. I, uh, I almost, I almost feel like you could have all of marriage counseling wrapped up into those. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and, and it was interesting when you were going over the, uh, the, the chart diagram, um, the, the me, we, what did you call it? The me, we, uh, the me, we chart. Anyways. Yeah, it's the, it's the relationship ecosystem. Yeah, relationship relationship ecosystem. I knew you had a fancy name for it. So the relationship yeah, ecosystem. <laughs> like as you were saying that, I I could see different relationships in my life popping yeah. into those things, yeah. and it's interesting because some of those I've actively chosen to put them there because the other person has forced me to put them there. That's right, right. and that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> that um, is one hundred percent okay. Right. It it, yeah. it it's acknowledging that that this is where it is. I'm okay with it. I'm not willing to invest anymore because they aren't. And I'm going to let it, I'm going to let that be right. That's okay. Yeah. That's okay. We can't all, we can't all be allies to everybody all the time. We just don't have the bandwidth for that. Mm -hmm. um, but you have, you certainly have the people that are in that unconditional we space in your life that, you know, totally. if the phone, if the phone rings, you're picking it up. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting when you think about those, who those people are, you know, we, we do an exercise in some of our workshops where we ask people to think of the best boss or colleague that they've ever had. 
and they tell such amazing stories. And then we we get them to text those people or send them a note, uh, you know, email or LinkedIn message or whatever to say that I was in this, you know, goofy training class at work today. And I was asked about the most influential or best colleagues or bosses that I've ever had. And your name came up. And I just wanted to say thanks. Man, the responses that come back, so powerful. We always try to get a few people to share uh, in the workshops that we do. And again, it's like the it's like the safety stump speech, big burly guys. There's there's rarely a dry eye when we stop sharing those stories because they are so powerful. Stories are the best tear jerkers in the world. <laughs> uh, I have had the, I don't know what you would call it, pleasure, misfortune, fortune of doing eulogies for a few family members. Oh, um, wow. And I have been officially selected as the family's speaker for the dead because my methodology is to just tell stories. Right. You are the collective eulogist. <laughs> yeah. They're like, you're doing this from now on. I'm like, oh, thank you for that. Really? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if you think about that, right, from, from, from the departed's perspective, well, that's what I want. I want you to, to, to share in those stories, to remember all of the amazing things that happen, not, not dwell on the negative, not dwell on the fact that I'm not here anymore, but let's talk about all those cool things. Because you said it earlier, right? I mean, stories, they're the currency that we measure life with. It's mm -hmm. powerful stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I remember um, my, my grandmother, when she passed away, I, I spoke at her eulogy and like his, in, my, in my life, she was only ever just grandma. Right, um, and right. I was like 27 when she passed away. And so I show up for her funeral and I was expecting like a small funeral. There were 750 people there. Um, she had an impact, eh? <laughs> she had an impact much larger than I was aware of because again, she was just grandma to me. And I remember I right. got up there and, um, and the thing that I did was I was like, I don't, I don't know her in any other capacity. I, I don't know right. how she was as a mom. I don't know how she was as like a churchgoer or the, you know, she was a high powered executive at her insurance company. Like, I don't know her in any of those roles. So I can't right. speak to them and I can't tell you anything about them. So all I'm going to do up here is I'm going to tell you what she was like as a grandma to me. And then I shared a set of like 15 or so stories from my life that were like impactful to me. And, um, and that's all we did. And I spent probably four hours shaking hands at the end of the time. They were like, thank you so much for, <laughs> just like sharing her story aside of her that we never got to see. Um, right. Cause yeah. she only had a couple of grandkids. Right? Yeah. So very few right. people got those to other see people. The, yeah. Those other people, just like you didn't know her as, as those other elements in her life, they didn't know her as grandma and that's powerful stuff. That's good. That's awesome. I love that story. Yeah. So it's just, it's storytelling is just such a, an important aspect of relationships and relationship building. And, you know, I know funerals are kind of a dark way to go, but that's, it's just, it's tied in with what you were talking about. <laughs> hey man, it's your show. You can take it any direction you want. Yeah. So you've I, gone from no pants to funerals. So we've I covered mean, we a covered lot. All of it. Masculine and being sexy, <laughs> like all of it. And now a quick word from our show's sponsor. Hey there, fellow podcaster. Having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand, creates fame, and drives sales for your business doesn't have to be hard. 
I know it feels that way because you've tried managing your show internally and realize how resource intensive it can be. You felt the pain of pouring eight to 10 hours of work into just getting one hour of content published and promoted all over the place. You see the drain on your resources, but you do it anyways because you know how powerful it is. Heck, you've probably even tried some of those automated solutions and ended up with stuff that makes your brand look cheesy and cheap. That's not helping grow your business. Don't give up though. The struggle ends now. Introducing Push Button Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out at pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero for 10% off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there. And now back to the hero show. So, so I think, I think the discussion of people who were important, right. To, to your life, um, is, is a great transition for my next question here, which is about your own personal heroes, right. And every hero has their mentors. Um, you know, Frodo had Gandalf, Luke had Obi-Wan Kenobi, Robert Kiyosaki had his rich dad, even Spider-Man had his uncle Ben, or if you watch the new movies, it's Aunt May. Um, but, I want to find out who were your heroes. Were they, you know, real life mentors, speakers or authors, maybe peers who were a couple years ahead of you? And how important were they to what you've accomplished so far? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, and there there are the folks that you that you share your career with from whom you you learn your craft, right? They when I was coming up through through the HR ranks, um I, I had a boss uh, her name was Karen, um, and she was probably, I don't know, eight years older than me-ish. So she had been around the block an, an, another time and a half or so by the time I got there. And just watching the way that she showed up, the questions that she asked, the way that she really cared about the outcome for everybody involved. It wasn't, you know, in, in HR, it's... a You've got a couple of archetypes in there. You've got the HR police, you've got the HR business partners, um, and you've got the people in between that are trying to figure it out. And she's the one that taught me about connecting with people on a human level and on an intellectual level around the business. Um, HR people in the old days had the luxury of not having to know about the business that we were in and the things that we did and why people bought our products and HR people didn't need to care about that. Um, they just needed to make sure that people were, you know, inputting their time off in the right system and in the right way. And she taught me that that that's kind of bullshit. That's not how HR should be done. And HR is when it's done well is is all about connecting with folks and making sure that everyone is aligned to what the business is trying to accomplish. And that was a huge eye opener moment for me in my sort of late twenties. Uh, early thirties. And uh, to this day, right. She is, she's a mentor. She's a, a, a friend and somebody that I connect with on a regular basis. Yeah. It reminds me of a uh, good to great. And mm -hmm. the, the difference between good companies and great companies is that the people care about the mission. Yeah. Which is HR's job. Right. <laughs> right. And the mission isn't just on a poster in the lobby, right? It's something that we can all articulate. We believe in 
and we take action toward. Those are things that you don't get from good poster wear. Yeah, yeah, the inspiration of the little black poster with the picture and the big white word on it. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, I always love that when companies roll out values and you go into the lobby and you see things like integrity, trust. I'm like, that's table stakes. If you're not doing that shit, you're not here. You're not employed here, right? Go yeah. somewhere else. You're like, that's that's the, congratulations, you have reached the baseline. <laughs> right. You, <laughs> you, have, yeah. you have earned the, earned the uh, ability to show up and play in this game. Now, right. if you want to compete, let's talk. <laughs> let's talk exactly <laughs> um, so i want to talk then um about your guiding principles all right so one of the things that makes heroes heroic is that they live by a code um you know for instance batman never kills his enemies he only ever puts them in arkham asylum so as we wrap up this interview i want to talk about the top one maybe two principles that you run your life by maybe something you wish you had known when you started out on your own hero's journey yeah i mean wrapping it all into this concept of, of relationships and, and caring for them and, and nurturing them. You know, I would say that the guiding principle for me is, is focusing on what I can do to help other people get where they need to go. Right. And if, if that's being a sounding board, I'll be a sounding board. If that's listening, I'll listen. If that's kicking your ass, I'll kick your ass, whatever you need me to do. Um, it's putting my ego in a That's subservient position. Yeah, right? Yeah. It's it's trying to to be deeply present in the relationships that are in my in my sphere at the moment. Um, because we talked earlier about managing, we can't be allies to everybody all the time because we just don't have the bandwidth. Um, and if if I had to identify my code, right, I want to be that person where if we haven't talked in six years and we get on the phone, it's like no time has passed. It's, it's because I am so present in that moment, I'm able to be whatever I need to be. I, I'm able to be that empathetic ear. I'm able to do whatever's required in that moment, not just waiting for my turn to tell my stories about all the cool shit that's been going on in my life or how hard it's been, right? We've, we've all been in those situations where, did that person even hear me? Did, were they listening or were they just waiting for their turn to talk? Um, so it's, it's, it's being that trying to show up as, as a deeply present empathetic listener to help people get where they need to be. You know, what's interesting about, about that whole waiting or were they waiting for their turn to talk is that I have found personally, and hopefully this is useful to someone listening that like, I live a pretty cool, interesting life, right? I've got all sorts mm -hmm. of cool things. And so I've got fun stories to share. Um, but I have found that if I want to share those stories with other people, the longer I spend listening to someone else tell their stories, they eventually run out of things to tell you. <laughs> That's and then, right. And then the thing that happens is they like, I want to hear your story now. Um, and they feel, they feel heard. They feel validated. And then that opens that space to even ask about your story. Right. Mm -hmm. If, if, if they don't, or if you don't let them get to that point, you're competing for airtime. Yeah. And, and nobody's then, listening to the story. <laughs> and nobody, nobody's actually paying attention. But then the other thing that's really, really useful when it comes to building relationships is if you listen to the other person's story and you actually hear what they're telling you, when it actually gets to the point where they turn around and they want to hear some of your story, you can 
connect your stories to theirs. And yeah. that's where magic happens. Magic happens oh. when you can show how your stories connect, where they relate. Yeah. Um, and anyways, that's, I think there's magic there. That That's when you make a best friend that you met in the park and had a random dinner with them, right? Yeah. It's being being able to find those connection points but but to get there right you've you've got to you've got to be willing to listen first and talk second um and be invited into that sharing space that's a it's a thing yeah. that I, I think we struggle with because i mean humans we like to hear ourselves talk we like to tell our stories because they help to, going back to that imposter syndrome point, they help us connect to the fact that, Hey, maybe that's actually true. Maybe my story is as cool as I've made it sound. And it gives us our own self-validation, but being validated by somebody else, way more powerful than self-validation yeah. for sure. My, uh, my favorite, my favorite thing that's happened recently is uh, my, my son came running into my office, you know, right here. Um, a few this weeks office, ago, he goes, <laughs> yeah, this office, this one right here. And I'm like, um, I was just happened to not be on a call at the time. So he was totally cool to just run and be like, dad. And I was like, what? And he's like, I learned a thing. And I was like, what did you learn? He's like, we have two eyes and two ears, but only one mouth, which means we should spend twice as much time watching and listening than we do speaking. And I was like, high five, buddy. It took me a long time to learn yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, he, how old is he? Is he 12? He's I think 12, he said. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that dude learning that lesson at 12, he wins. He wins. Yeah. Hands he down. wins. He's a great kid. <laughs> um, I actually think that's a great place to wrap our interview too. Um, just on the idea, we got two two eyes, two ears, and one mouth. Um, so spend twice as much time listening and watching than you do speaking. Um, so I do end every interview with a simple challenge, though. I call it the Heroes Challenge, and I do this to help get access to stories I might not otherwise find on my own. Because as you know, not everyone is out doing the podcast rounds like you and I are doing. Um, right. so the question is simple. Do you have someone in your life or in your network that has a cool entrepreneurial story? First name or, you know, who are they? First names are fine. And why do you think they should come share their story here? The first person that uh, comes to mind for you. Uh, his name is Nahid in a H I D. Um, he runs a company that is exploding in Latin America right now. And he is running this company from a position of not what they do, but about giving back and about giving forward and about making the world a better place than it was when they got there. And that's how they're recruiting. That's how they're retaining. And that's how they're differentiating themselves in a very crowded market um, in, in Latin America right now. What was that? Conscious capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he, he is living it and I, I've, I've known him for, for a decade and he's, He's a, just a great guy and actually walking the talk on this one. Um, it's not just marketing speak. It's not just something that shows up on the website. It's who he is. And it's, it's, it's been an amazing story to watch unfold. He's killing it right now. for sure. Awesome. I'd love to see if we can get him on the show. We'll see if we can get an introduction later. Um, and, you know, sometimes they say yes, sometimes they say no. But when we get a yes, sometimes they're some of the best stories we get on here because um, they're very unique. Um, so, in comic books, there is always the crowd of people who are clapping and cheering for the acts of heroism. heroism. So as we close, um, I almost said the acts of heroin, and that would have been bad. because <laughs> That's an 80s metal story. That's a very different story than a comic book story. <laughs> yeah, than the uh, acts of heroism. Um, so as we, uh, as we close, what I want to find out from you is where can people get your help? Um, where can they light up the bat signal, so to speak, and 
um, and ask for you know your help in getting the relationships right in their company. And I think more importantly than where is who are the right types of people to raise their hand and actually flip the switch for the bat signal. Yeah, so you can find us at skyteam.com, S-K-Y-E-T-E-A-M.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. I am Eric S. Spencer over there. Um, and as, in terms of who should be flipping that switch, um, it's business leaders. It's not just HR people. You know, I think uh, one of the things that's interesting about our journey, we tend to work a lot with technology companies. And a lot of times the folks that are ringing that bat signal are CTOs and CIOs uh, as often, if not more, than they are uh, heads of HR or CEOs in general. We tend to focus in on the business level uh, ideas. So it's those folks. Um, that's how you get us. Um, I also run a podcast called The Corporate Bartender for HR People. If any HR folks are out there and they want a really awesome community of pretty amazing uh, HR and people leaders, that's where you'll find us. Um, I think that's it. That's awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your um, your story with us today, Eric. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, my last little question for you here, do you have any final words of wisdom for our audience before I hit this uh, stop record button? Yeah, I would say, you know, I, I've said it a hundred times in the last hour that we've been talking. Um, take the time, build, develop, and deepen those relationships. If you've got one that's a little bit wonky and not where it needs to be, ask those three questions. Go in that with that relationship pulse check. What's working, what's not working, and what's one thing that I can do to help you be successful? Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Eric. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Richard, for having me. It was a blast.